Gardening with Barb and Karen. Hey, Barb, what's the good news for this morning? Oh, my goodness. What could compete with NASA landing the rover on Mars yesterday? You know what the good thing about that is, Barb? Maybe that will mean there will be more gardening space for us. Hey, there you go. (laughs) Wouldn't that be something, though? Just the, the whole thought of that. You know, in 1988, Dave and I were uh, at the Cape. We went for the uh, launching of one of the Apollos, and and we were there two days. The first day, they couldn't launch because of weather or other restrictions, and the second day, they did. And uh, when you grew up on comic books that that featured, you know, this kind of super uh, uh, fantastic uh, uh, space spacecraft going to the moon and, and being launched, and you always thought, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, to actually see that happen, that was amazing. And and uh, when they launched the rover now, that was just another amazing thing. And I watched the touchdown, and and uh, look at the technology we have. It's just it, it's just amazing. And then, that, then I read in the paper that Parker... The golden retriever, who is a uh, a pet or a helpmate at the Pillars uh, Retirement Village in North Mankato, what great things he was doing for people! How he cheers them up, and how he has this sense of those who need his love and those that love him. And and I thought, you know, we're working on so many different levels. We're send the rover up to Mars to find out about life there. And yet here we're just discovering that pets are much more amazing. Oh, I think people know that already, though. You know, pets love you unconditionally. I think that's one of the reasons they're so awesome. And you know, I think that's true, but I don't think that everybody knows that. I think that's a message we need to hear over and over again so that when... um, places like benches when they have a fun drive they yeah. realize that uh, yeah there are some animals that aren't loved aren't taken care of and we need to do something great for them so we, that was that was kind of uh, two uh, things in different directions but I so have important. good news too Barb I want to share spring begins in 29 days <laughs> hey I, I love it I love it that that is that is absolutely great and talking about spring I talked to our good friend, Master Gardener, Harvey Hess, and his sister, um, uh, Norla Norla. Hess. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I wanted to call Norla and ask her about uh, her clematis, or her coleus, uh, coleus, because you and I had talked, and you said that you were able to get your coleus, get get roots on them, but when you put them in the soil that they... They clunk out on yeah, you. I had saved a whole bunch because I had beautiful, beautiful coleus last year, and I had w- put them in water, and they had tremendous roots. And then I put them in the soil, and they lasted a while, and then poof! I don't. I think I have one or two left. Is all well, out of all those. Norma said that isn't a problem for her. She hmm. said her problem is that she leaves them in water too long, and they get such a massive root system on them. But then again, I said I told her what had happened to you, and she said. Um, I, I don't know. And I said, well, I read an article that said uh, with coleus or with anything that you started in water, when you put it into the soil, it has to be extremely well-drained and that you shouldn't water it as much because 
those small roots, if the soil is kept wet, they will rot on you. And, you know, that could have been the case because I think I, I got that soil really moist and I didn't water it right away, but I also had tremendous roots. I left them in the water a long time and maybe they were just too big and, and got too wet because we do know that, that roots need to breathe. So, I mean, that could have been my problem. Sure. And, and Norla said, so she started out with her first generation of cuttings when she brought them in in the fall. They rooted, she planted them. And now her original plant is so big she needs to cut it back again. I said, are you going to make, take more cuttings? She said, nope, you just, you know, you have to have space, you have to have, <laughs> uh, you know, you have to take care of them and you have to have the light for them. And she doesn't. But she said, now the seedless begonias, and, you know, you, you've taken cuttings from them, I've taken cuttings from them. She said she tries to start them in the same way. She has never been able to get a seedless begonia to grow after she puts it in the soil with its root on. Well, see, now I've done the ones, yeah, too, where you can, I can get them to root in the water, but I haven't had very good luck in the soils. So, yeah. you know. Well, I have had, you know, uh, good enough luck with that so that uh, this in December I took some to my daughter. And as far as I know, they're still growing. So um, I, I'll have to see. If if it uh, if 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 I I have to, I need to take cuttings again because that plant also has gotten big. So anyway, uh, moving on to Nora's Norla's brother Harvey. I called him up and he was jovial and gardening and and here's I asked him for the inventory on his plants. Right, because he's our seed starter. He starts a lot of my starter plants just because there are certain varieties that we want that you can't get anywhere else. You know, a lot of I like to support my local nurseries too, but Harvey starts some seeds that we don't see right, anywhere else. That's, yeah. that's right, exactly. Well, so Harvey said he has 90 house plants. Oh, my word. <laughs> 90, and he is caring for them. And of those 90, 20 are blooming right now. Oh, dear. Wow. Yes. And he, too, some of them are getting bigger, and he has to do some pruning on them as well. But he said he had a succulent that was blooming for the first time. And, and, you know, succulents have the thicker leaves on them. And and a lot of times you just think, well, they're just going to provide the foliage, and you're going to put them in a like a dish garden, you have to have something else that's going to bloom them. But this one, and you didn't know the name of it, shot up this spike, and it has a flower on it. And, of course, it's for Harvey, it's like a, a new family member there. He's so proud of it that, uh, yeah. But he, he said, too, he's going to have to, uh, he, he's going to thin out some of his plants. He's going to get rid of some pots so that he can start his seeds because he said he's really full. He has, He's yes, overwhelmed with, 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 yeah, I, I get that. I know. I just, sometimes yep. I let him die just because I'm like, I don't have room. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said that he, he took in a vine, and this is the second year he's done this, and the vine climbed all the way up to the top of the fluorescent <laughs> light and then followed the chain that it's hanging on, and it's hanging about six feet in the air. So he has to, he said it's like a jungle. He has to, he has to clip that one off. But um, he hasn't started, of course, wisely. He hasn't started tomatoes or peppers, anything like that. So uh, I think he does start uh, seed onions. 
and he has really good luck with that. And oh. those need, those are some seeds that that need to be started about now because a lot of people I think are are just getting antsy and want to start everything. And and we're still I want to say it again: don't start your tomatoes, don't start your peppers, and, and okay. eggplants and things like that. They really need to wait until probably uh, middle of March or April even. Oh, April fifteenth. Okay, there earlier. you go. April fifteenth. Yeah, That's later. Right. Exactly. And uh, and I read an article by. Uh, Diane Denham in the paper this week, and she had a hint for starting small seeds like lettuce. And she said this is what she does. She takes a piece of chicken wire and she frames it with wood. And then she works up the soil and she places that chicken wire down. And then she um, selects out like every other square and she'll plant in there so that she naturally gets things spaced out. You know how easy it is when you, you've got these fine, fine seeds? Oh, yes. And, and lettuce is something you shouldn't plant in a straight row anyway. You should try and use something. Well, it was perfect for your four square, for your square gardening. Right, that's, yeah. That's the idea, to put them in. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea, because no matter how I try, I get mine too thick. So this year, I am going to do that. I'm going to have David make a square up for me, and I think maybe about, uh, oh, I don't know, 24 inches by 24 inches, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. That would be, that would be great. And, uh, it, and, and that way you'll have that space and you won't have such a problem. At least work with it and see how that goes for you. Oh, and I, one more thing I have to say about Harvey. Harvey has an amaryllis that is blooming and you know he measures things. He's he's a good <laughs> farmer there. Twenty seven inches tall. Wow, nice one. Has six blooms. So Ooh, have sounds... you ever heard? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. So uh, good for Harvey. Well, I we're went, glad to hear he's doing well because, you know, he's been, of course, like a lot of other folks that are older are, have been confined inside and, and you know, he right. finds things to do with plants and, uh, you know, it keeps him happy and, and plants keep you healthy with the air cleansing that they do. So so that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Right. And, you know, there is that uh, it, that nurturing that you get. You nurture you nurture a plant. You watch it. You You're, you're doing these things. It keeps your mind occupied about growing things and that really is so very very nice yes right something else i wanted to mention uh, and uh, you're involved in this is the community gardens here in mankato uh, up at good council hill they have registration now if you would like a plot and so they're they're uh, getting accepting registrations now for the use of their garden plots during the 2021 growing season and you have to register for both even if you're like you, returning person or a new gardener yeah. who want to reserve spaces within that two-acre <coughs> organic community garden, it's on the campus at the School Sisters of Notre Dame in Good Council. And the registration fee covers the cost of water and compost, and they've even got garden tools available for you to use in the 10-foot by 10-foot plots. And the costs are administered on a sliding scale, and scholarships are available because they want to make sure that everybody has a chance to sure. garden who wants to. And wheelchair-accessible garden beds are also available upon request. And I know you've been doing it. I, I did it quite a few years back before I finally just start, decided to dig up sod <laughs> in my own backyard. And you've got several uh, plots, don't you? I do. I have 50 feet, so that's five of those 10 by 10 spots. And um, uh, Laura did call, and 
<clears throat> she, uh, I asked her about uh, if we, we have the same rules as before, and we do. We have social distancing. You must wear your mask. And all the tools are uh, sanitized after use by anybody. You oh, put okay. them in a separate area. So if you're thinking about that, things are sanitized. And um, it, it, it's just its a wonderful experience. You, you'll get to meet people. you get to see how other things grow. It's, it's really a community. There is that community connectedness that you have with other people, and you can share your things. And uh, Well, and the great thing is you can share uh, ideas, and, and for new people, yep. there's always somebody like you up there who is more than willing and happy to, sh- to <clears> share <throat> what how to do it, because if you're brand new, you might be a little overwhelmed. But That's right. And, you know, it's so great when you can... Um, when you're up there and you and you start the planting season, other people are up, and you realize that you have too much, uh, too many plants, too many tomato plants <laughs> or peppers or, or um, onion bulbs to go in or whatever, and you walk around and you just ask and you say, do you have yours yet? Would you like some? I'd be happy to give you some. And then people, yeah, that's great. They want them. And then as you're gardening and you have too many tomatoes, you have too many cabbage, you have too much, and you walk around and you say, would you like some? And yeah. And then, of course, we always take things down to the Echo Food Shelf as well. Well, and they also, they, I, one thing I always enjoy, they always have lots of extra seeds and things too. So if you don't have any, it's kind of a seed exchange, <clears> which I think yeah. is a great idea because there's only so many green beans you can plant in an area. That Well, isn't that the truth, yeah. though? And, and, and you and I are sharing seeds, Barb, too. So Yes, we are. This is a new spaghetti squash. that Hasta uh, la pasta. Yes, hasta la pasta. I just love the name. And I am growing um, um, <laughs> the bulblet, not, not the um, shallots. Onion or the, shallots. The, I'm growing shallots for you. Yes. Yes. And I, I won't start them yet. No. Because it's it, too early. It, it really is way, way too early to start them too. So, and <clears throat> I counted this morning. I have 34 house plants. Oh, you only, yeah, I don't have, well, I have a bunch, but I don't take very good care of them. So, you know, I've told you that before. It's just, it just doesn't thrill me as much inside as it just does outside. No, if you don't have the time, I never, when I was working full time, I never had this kind of carryover of plants. I just didn't do it. One of the reasons I started with the amaryllis is because you put them in a cool place and you just let them stay until they start coming up. And this week I have a... Um, it's a, a plastic um, a pot that's a shape like a like a saucer, a deep dish saucer. You can also get those in um, uh, in in heavier material like uh, pottery. But once you get soil in them, that thing is so heavy. Right. So I found this one in plastic. I have nine bulbs in there, and I went down on the shelf, and sure enough, they're starting to raise their heads. And there's two of those nine that have a spike that's coming up. And on the one spike, it's already got two two buds on it. So oh, yeah, it's always exciting to have blooms. Yes, it does. Hey, we did something else that was exciting this past week. What? We did a video conference with uh, oh, the yes. Hosta Society. The Minnesota Hosta Society, and it's, it's a very reasonable to join, and they have meetings that you can... You know, it's online now, so it used to be up in the Twin Cities, and I used to go, and I'm actually, I don't know if you know, but I'm on their publicity committee. Last year, they were going to host the 
national or the American Hospice Society <laughs> right. convention, which was canceled because of COVID. So, so I'm really excited to be a part of that. But this, we had a guest a speaker this past Saturday. Right. And this was Rob uh, uh, Markto. And uh, he has an amazing thing. You know, you think about this when, when how do these new hostas get to the market and how are they produced in abundance so that we get to them? And it's and not seeds. I mean, some people do do seeds. Nope. It's, it's tissue culture. And I found it just fascinating. This guy, that's what he does. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I went through my notes and uh, we had the most wonderful nursery over in uh, Wasika where they did tissue culturing. And that was with uh, Mr. Osmond, Clayton Osmond. And whatever uh, happened, is he still there? I, I guess I don't know. Oh. He isn't. He taught at the university there, and eventually he sold his business and he went up to Duluth, where he's doing different, uh, different kind of plants and things. Okay. But we were invited there to see how uh, tissue culture goes, how you do it, the sanitation required. And it was just absolutely remarkable. And when I was going through my things, I found out that I had his uh, garden book that he put out every single year. And the reason I suppose I saved it, because uh, in it he has uh, the plant cross-reference index with the common names and the genus names of everything that was available there. And everything is in color. It's just it's something that they would sell in the store probably for ten dollars. Uh, just just a great uh, uh, resource to have. And he was he was the most wonderful man. I when I would work in Wasika um, as part of my job, and I would stop and visit him. And he always had something new to tell me about hostas and uh, and other flowers. He he also had the shade plants that you the companion plants for the hostas. So he was absolutely amazing. So now um, this this Rob uh, Mortka, he he's getting introductions. People they'll have like a sport that comes up. Well, how do you now a sport for people who don't know what that is? A sport is just another baby that comes up alongside <clears throat> from, it, maybe from the original, right? Yeah, from the original, from a seed or something, and, and they're hybrids. So, yeah, it means if they're a hybrid, the seed won't come true to the, the original plant. So you get right. something new that crossed with something else that was nearby in the garden. And sometimes you don't even know what that might be. And so if you think this is unique, I mean, the petiole or the stem of it is, is looking very red. Maybe this is something I ought to try to propagate and grow more of. Or the, the leaves themselves are nice and wavy or any kind of a characteristic that's really different. And he gets these, and he then um, does the tissue culturing and uh, grows them out and, and gets them back to the person, and, and the, this person has named them everything, and they get them on the market. So the whole process takes about 18 months, I guess. Right. So, you know, the, I know people complain about the price of plants. Even I do, because they seem like they're a lot. But what takes it takes to get them to market, some some of them especially, I mean, even like Martagon lilies, to get one from when you start it to the market is at least seven years. So you think yeah. of all that breeding and uh, the, yeah. the work that goes into doing that. And, you know, Grant is, is doing his lily breeding, and we're on year, I think this will be year four, and we still have yet to develop a, a plant. 
And I sure. wanted to just say some fun news, too, is that the North Star Lily Society has asked Grant to be on their board of directors for the, the state. And so he'll be one of the youngest directors. And I just think that's pretty cool because this kid's got such an interest in, in lilies. So, Well, that's what it is. It's that passion in anything. So congratulations to Grant. Yes. You know, one of the things with, uh, uh, with the uh, speaker, with Rob, was that he had wonderful color pictures and names and talked about the grower, the, the original person that came with the plant. And he had a, a gorgeous plant, a gorgeous hosta that came from a grower, um, Harold McDonald, in Fayette, Georgia. I have never seen any hostas growing in the different gardens that I've been in in Georgia so far. so You haven't would, seen hostas? Nope. I, I, I think it's harder. Hostas really like it cooler, so I don't think there's a lot down there. I think it's kind of our go-to for shade plants here in the upper Midwest and, and the northern states because sure. they can grow a lot of different things we can't, too. Yeah, that's true. And so I thought, well, that's interesting because it's not uncommon to have uh, a temperature of 95 and... Uh, and the humidity way up there as well. And so I thought, you know, Fatville, that's not far from where my daughter lives. I'm going to look him up and see if he also has a nursery ah. and if I can go visit that. <laughs> I would just like to see what kinds of success he's having with those extreme heat temperatures. Right, yeah, because hostas, like I said, like the, like the cool better. Yeah. And I'm really glad because that is kind of my go-to for the shade because they just look beautiful. You know, you can get ones that are solid green. You can get some that are chartreuse. You can get ones with white stripes mm-hmm. in the middle, around the edges, and, and just so many different varieties. And so I plan on adding some more. And one of the ways you can get some of these new varieties is by joining the Minnesota Hosta Society <coughs> because in the spring, every spring they have special offers of some of these new varieties for uh, the folks who are members that you'd normally have to pay a lot of money for and they'll, sure. you know, at least $20 or less per plant. And, you know, some of these plants go for over $100 each or even up to 500 or more. So if you're a, a true diehard collector, some people will pay that much. And uh, I, I tend to wait a little till they're, you know, maybe more sure. popular on the market and <laughs> pay well, less. You know, one of the other things that, that uh, growers are trying for is um, a difference in the flower, the bloom itself on the hosta. Normally we will see maybe it's very lavender or maybe it's a little darker color. Or there's white ones too that are common. Yeah, and some white. And now there's a new one, and this comes from a a grower. um, Let me see if I've got his name. Um, The last name is Dewan, and it's a bloom that blooms red. Yeah. He had a picture of it. Absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. It has that, you know, that um, lily shape to it, that bloom like the rest of them do, but it's in a beautiful, and it's not a washed out color. It's a very true red color to it. So I'm sure it'll be years before we see that on the market, but, but it is coming. It is possible. And how they do that genetically is just it just amazes. Well, and of course, the hot thing now in hostas, and I, I knew this before it was coming, is is more and more breeders are trying to get the red petioles, the stems that go up, and <laughs> and also some red on the leaves. There's one called I think it's first blush that I want to get a hold of because the leaves actually when they come up, they actually look almost like a purplish reddish on the with the green, and it's just beautiful. And so that those are some of the the ones that are just uh, coming up on the market. If you see them, you know, want to try something different. What a great way to 
yes. adds some color to the the, the shade yes. garden. Yes, and then with the red petiole, some of them it's the leaf is, is chartreuse. Sometimes it's a variegated leaf, green and white. So you have there's there's more than one um, a type of a red petiole used with with different foliage. I thought, wow, this is just astounding. And and so in the background, you could hear me saying, ooh. Ah, wow. And I'm writing <laughs> frantically. I have I was my, too. <laughs> I have my three-ring binder there and I'm writing down all these names and and I'm the person who's trying to get out of hostas. But here's what I have to do. If I buy anything new now, I have to get rid of something old that I've got more than one of. So Why do you uh, want to get out of hostas? I don't understand. What's wrong it, with you, Barb? <laughs> oh, it, it's the slugs. It's Oh, slugs. yeah, slugs are are terrible, yeah. <clears throat> they get in there and they ruin the leaves and after that it just makes me sick and so i think i overplanted them and uh i'm going to try to use uh blend in shade plants with them well you know i found such good luck and a lot of people have with using melorganite um, that yeah, helps with the deer, but I've also er, re- very early started using the slug, uh, the slug bait. Slug-o. It's like a uh, sluggo, yeah, iron phosphate, yep. and I that's. Use that, Karen, I mean, I, I still have them, but at least it helped last year, so it wasn't quite as bad. I, 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 you're right. Last year, after two years of putting down everything and and turning over bricks and turning over anything <laughs> that they were hiding under and getting rid of them, I had less. But okay. I also had taken things out and made more space. So that helps, uh, yeah. If if I could get to the point where uh, I could trust that the slugs weren't coming back in, you know, I must have the kind of soil that they produce well in. Well, but, it's just because I think it is because you have such a lush you have such lush uh, plants and and the moisture is what they need and they're all close together. So naturally, they're going to be. Sure. there but it, sure. and that is a challenge I, I truly believe and some people said you know put eggshells around and and put diametaceous earth but you know the second that gets wet it's not effective so there's so many things I've tried that really aren't lasting so it's it's really a lot of maintenance yes that's true you know Karen um I I have become accustomed now on Tuesdays at 10 o'clock to being around and listening to you and Al. Oh, I love Al, yeah. I do too. And I thought the most important thing that I learned from him, he said that birds need water, not to bathe in, but to drink. Mm -hmm. And birds, they can do without food, but they can't do without water. It's just like anything else. Any living creature uh, needs to have water. And so uh, I filled a plastic kind of dish and I put it out on the deck and sure enough it wasn't long I didn't see any birds in there but there was slopping by it so uh-huh. I hadn't watched to see so I'm going to do that I'm going to make sure it could have been know, a deer too or some other animal or you know well they can't get the deer can't get in oh yard, okay the rabbits that's can't right there because it's fenced lucky you. but there are the squirrels so maybe the squirrels <laughs> need water yeah too. they do yeah. and it was interesting the way he talked about how um birds people say they can eat the snow well they have the same problem as we do if we were to try and survive uh on snow it takes all the energy your body's got to warm that that's that snow up to turn it into water and it it doesn't aid you at all you're using your energy instead of to stay warm you're using it to 
to warm this snow that's, that you've ingested. Maybe and I should eat snow, a lot of snow, Barb, and then it would be like a weight loss solution. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare do that. I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Don't eat yellow you know, snow Barb, or, <laughs> or blue yeah, snow. Look at the people in Texas that were told to oh. to bring in snow and, and oh, to um, heat it up to sanitize it. That's that's so sad. That's really, really sad. And, you know, we do have we have snow, we have storms. But we certainly are prepared for it. Um, we insulate. Uh, we have snow plows. We have, you know, our lines are way underground. Our water uh, mains are underground deep and sewer and that. So we're... We're prepared We're for it, very but. fortunate. Well, I tell you what, we are out of a time, Barb, but it's always great to chat with you, and I can't wait to see what you got up for next week. Well, thank you, and, and give my love to the rest of your family, and especially to Grant. Congratulate him. We're just All right. so happy to see people recognizing young people doing great things. Absolutely. Thanks, Barb. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, our good friend Barb Lampson, Master Gardener talking about all things gardening, lots of other things too. It's two minutes past 10 and you're listening to a Minnesota Morning.